Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. God's Word today from the Bible is from Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along in the Old Testament section of your pew Bible on pages 141 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer asking our God to engage with his word, to celebrate what he has done and can do for his people. Dear God, living close to one of the world's largest freshwater lakes, Living and working with water faucets and bottled water all around us, we need your help today in imagining what it was like for your people to be in a desert and to be so thirsty that they feared for their lives. Help us to celebrate the water that you provided and the remarkable way that you did so. Fix in us the memory that the remarkable creator and master of the universe The one who is capable of such great deeds is the very one who is listening to and caring for us today. Amen. Please listen and be amazed at what God did for his people. The Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam, Moses' sister, died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation, and so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place. It's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of God appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water came out, and abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock all drank. But 
the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me, trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A couple of things before we get started. Our hearts are heavy and our minds are on the people of Israel and Palestine this morning as we study God's word and events that happened in that place. Let us continue to pray for safety and peace and justice. I also want to thank our choirs and everyone for leading us in worship this morning, including our guest director, Dr. Robert Harris. So thank you. For us to really catch up to where we are in this story, which actually occurs at the end of 40 years of wandering, let's see a video review from a book called The Story. As the Israelites journeyed through the desert, they began to complain. They were tired of eating manna and wanted meat like they had when they were slaves in Egypt. Frustrated by their complaining, God gave the Israelites exactly what they wanted. A huge wind blew an enormous flock of quail right into their camp. They had so much quail, they ate it for every meal for a month. It was literally coming out of their nostrils. Not long after this, the Israelites continued their journey toward the Promised Land. They came to the outskirts of a city called Canaan. Moses sent spies ahead to see if the city was a good place to live and how tough the battle might be to take it over. The spies came back and told him the land was amazing, flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of fruit. But the people living there were huge, like giants, and that it would be impossible to defeat them. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, told the Israelite leaders they should go into Canaan because God was on their side. The leaders refused, becoming so angry at Joshua and Caleb that they almost executed them. Because the Israelites didn't believe that God would help them, God sent them to wander in the desert for 40 years. In the desert, the Israelites were having trouble finding water and began to complain. So God told Moses to speak to a rock and water would flow from it. Moses trusted God, but only partly. He not only spoke to the rock, but struck it with his walking stick. When he did, water gushed from the rock. God wasn't happy with Moses' lack of trust and punished him by allowing him to see the promised land, but not enter it. So that helped us catch up a little. So did you hear that? Tired of eating manna after 40 years of what is this stuff? Remember, manna means what is it? The Israelites failed the test of trusting God at the waters. The sin of not trusting God was clear in that story about the spies trying to enter the land, Joshua and Caleb saying, let's go, we can do this, and they're saying no. So fear once again won the day. 
the Israelites did not trust in God's power to do what God promised to bring them into the land. And so as a result, that's why they wander in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years until one entire generation dies out and the next generation has a chance to start anew. Then the people will be allowed to enter the promised land. So today we're talking about that time 40 years later, countless tests later. We're looking at what happened at what I like to call Meribah Falls. The Israelites fail the test of trusting God again at the waters of Meribah. And in that whole time, God has proved faithful to care for God's people again and again and again to supply their daily needs of food and water with manna and quail with water. God has really met their every need over 40 years. And our story has shifted from the book of Exodus into the book of Numbers. One of the differences in the book of Numbers is that there is this whining narrative. The people keep whining. Remember, we talked a little bit about grumbling and whining last week. Every time the journey gets hard, the people whine. I'm dating myself, but some of you boomers and others might remember an old Saturday Night Live skit with Doug and Wendy Weiner, who whine everywhere they go. Whine, whine, whine. The people get in trouble with God, and they're punished because God is insistent that they push against their natural inclination and learn to trust God. God knows they need it. God basically says, no whiners allowed, we're moving forward, or maybe, as it appeared, moving in circles around the wilderness of Zin. Despite their 40 years of whining, God keeps meeting their needs and showing that God cares, trying to build their trust in God. So this actually, takes place at the same place twice. If you read in your Bible, at Meribah, it's one of the first places they go when they want water, and God meets their needs there. And then 40 years later, they go back to the same spot. They tested God again. So Numbers 20, verse 5, is the same scenario. But the difference this time is the people were actually thirsty. They weren't just fearful. They're in a desert, they've been wandering, there really was no water there. They have a legit need that God plans to meet. God is not angry with the people. But Moses trusted God, but only partly. This is what we learn. And we learn that Moses had clear directions from God and he followed them only partly. Moses assembled the people, took the staff of God's power, the one that he had used in the plagues and to cross the Red Sea. But we learn here that Moses is the one with anger issues at this time. I have found this story so fascinating that I have studied it time and time again, beginning with a class in seminary over in the wilderness of Zin called Geography of the Bible. I'll show you a picture in a moment. But I've wondered, what is all this about? The consequences are so big, what's the story? If we listen closely, we realize that Moses is the one with real anger issues this time. In verse 10, he said, listen, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? It's a leadership issue. <coughs> Moses was not sensitive 
to the genuine needs of the people. He calls them rebels, but in this case, he's the rebel. Sometimes this probably happens in our families. My kids who are now grown like to decide and week by week whether it's my husband or I that are the problem child that week, right? Sometimes it's not just the kiddos who have the tantrums. But here's where Moses goes off script, having a tantrum. He says, must we, we, Moses is claiming the credit, must we do this miracle, the miracle that God had promised them to do? Moses had clear directions from God, and Moses followed them only partly, and he was only supposed to wave his staff in the direction of the rock. He had clear directions from God about that. He followed them only partly. What's the big deal? See, Moses was not supposed to whack it dramatically, and certainly not twice, not take over God's miracle, angry with the people and claiming God's power versus speaking to it. Moses was showboating. He was making a big display. Let's talk about this. Do you remember Moses' backstory? After he was saved and raised by Pharaoh's daughter, after he killed an Egyptian and fled to Midian, he became a shepherd. And he was a shepherd for many years. Now, while I was in the wilderness of Zin, I learned that there is a shepherd's trick. You see, these are crumbly limestone walls, sandstone walls, I think, actually, and there is water trapped in them. You can actually see it because in random places, there are shrubs where you would think there would only be rock. And also, there are streaks of green moss running down the sides of the cliff. And there's a shepherd's trick that they would know the right place to strike the rock and get water released for their sheep. This is also amazing because this is how God prepared Moses to lead God's people through this somewhat surprising detour into, into um, Midian. Moses learned this. But you see, in this instant, God did not want Moses to use the desert trick. He had done it for them before, 40 years ago. God said, go for it then. That was his instruction at that time, strike the rock. This time, God had in mind a much, much bigger, bigger miracle. See, at any moment, there could be severe rains and a flash flood. There was one place where we were evacuated because they were worried that there would be a flash flood. That was not what the people were experiencing. They were so dry and thirsty. But here you can see in the pictures the, uh, no, this isn't the image I thought it would be. It's the, um, it's one more that has uh, some bushes in the front. See if you can look for that. I'm not sure where this one came from. In any case, we'll see it in a moment. I know it's <laughs> put in later. Um, okay, so here's what happens. They're wandering like sheep. God's miracle would not become evident to God's people through striking the rock, making water come out. In fact, Exodus 17 reminds us that although Moses had done with the, that before, and at that time the people asked, is Yahweh among us or not? 
The first time, the people hadn't yet learned because they were new to their journey. Now, 40 years later, they actually had learned that God was among them. And so God had shown God's self faithful again and again. They trusted God, as the video said, but only partly. So Moses was supposed to do something different, surprise them all, speak to the rock, and the water would miraculously flow out by God's command. But instead, Moses used his own knowledge, his own desert trick. Now let's see if you could see um, the next slide, the image of the wilderness, and then we'll see if we can see this. <clears throat> Moses was what... Oh, somehow we don't have it in the right place. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Moses was what my kids call a hogger. He was hogging the spotlight from God, and that's why God was upset. He stole God's glory from God. God was trying to teach God's people trust. It's a common human temptation. Think about it. I remember a time when we were teaching my daughter to drive, and on a trip from Las Vegas to L.A., we let her practice her new skills on the freeway. But of course, heading into California, everyone's driving at least 70 and all of a sudden, I thought we were going to be headed for a 10-car pileup. And from the backseat, good backseat driver that I am, or bad backseat driver, I shout out, Jesus, save us. And so she slams on the brakes, we're saved, and I say, thank you, Jesus. And she is so mad. And I'm like, watch it, kid, you might get struck by lightning. But she said, I saved us by my good driving. Well, that's still debatable many years later. But the consequence of that is that when it was time for my next child to learn how to drive, who had no part in it, right? I was exiled from the driving process. Fine with me. We can become hoggers and hog God's miracle. That is what God had in mind. The people already knew that God could give them quail and manna. Would water be any harder? No, Moses was only to speak a word to show his trust, and God would create or unleash water for them out of God's creative power and love for God's people. Are you starting to catch on? Here, Moses, it's understandable. He's fed up. He's worn out. He's angry at the people, angry at God, maybe even. He's seizing God's power to teach them a lesson. And what kind of lesson does he decide to teach it? Out of anger. We've probably all done this, right? We've said things that we didn't mean to, or maybe we did in the moment and we repented later. It's a common human temptation. But Moses took it a step farther. He was grabbing God's glory. Just like in that earlier spy story, Caleb and Joshua said, with the Lord, we can conquer the land. And the people said, no. They didn't want to see God's glory at work. They failed to believe. This mistrust called the Israelites to wander. And so Moses does this same thing. He doesn't trust God fully to do what God promised to bring them into the land. And it was a very public failure. Now you're starting to see why Moses got himself in such trouble. God gave Moses and Aaron the same treatment as he had previously to the leaders of the Israelites for their lack of trust in a key moment. Moses definitely knew better, 
Remember, Moses had met with God face to face on the mountain. Moses had spoken with God. He had heard God's loving concern and God's desire to meet with the Israelites, to meet their needs. Yes, the stiff-necked people had turned to whining. God had been angry and punished them, but not this time. But Moses is just up to here. He doesn't stop to ask questions. This time it's a serious issue, and Moses is the angry rebel here. So four quick thoughts about this. This story is about giving God the glory God deserves. That's actually my favorite definition of what worship is. Whether we're in the sanctuary or in some other quiet space or singing, when we are worshiping, we are giving God the glory God deserves. It's not about us. God deserves the glory. God doesn't share God's glory either. It's no small matter to God. And God doesn't suffer this dishonor lightly. If you want to look, you can see other stories in the Bible about this. King Nebuchadnezzar, King Herod learned this the hard way. King David didn't. There's a beautiful passage in 1 Chronicle where in 16 he says, Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now David had other problems but he understood worship. In fact, he was willing to humble himself and dance before the Lord. It's worth remembering that we are to give God the glory God is due. So God is teaching God's people lessons in God's way, not ours. God uses hardship to teach those lessons, doesn't rescue us. We have to go through it and out the other side in the wilderness, through the hunger and thirst to learn. Deliverance comes not in being removed from our wilderness. Psalm 23 says, A table is spread in the presence of the enemy. There is a gift of water where only rocks abound. There's a gift of healing where the pain doesn't end. There is a movement from death to life within the experience of wilderness, of God forsakenness. Death is transformed into life within a very scary death-filled context. That's how God works. Only in the wilderness do we see that God shapes the character of God by God's character, shapes the people right in the middle of death and life. God shapes them by showing that God is patient, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy and love, as the scriptures tell us over and over again. Because only in the wilderness could those people and we sometimes see that God, who God really is, to see God's glory in full view, in a place where they're paying attention because everything else is stripped away. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. You've had this kind of experience or are going through it right now. And that's why God does not want Moses to get in the way of God's plan and love for God's people. That's why God doesn't want us to get in the way of what God is doing in someone else's life unless God speaks to us and says, help. Sometimes God needs to help people go through it. God teaches God's people and God's church God's lessons in surprising ways. 
God lets us experience hardship and wilderness times and trials. Someone I've quoted before, Gil Rendell, explains that even in the church, there's twin pillars of every organization, purpose and relationships. And for those who feel in this time that we might be wandering in the wilderness as a church, any church who is trying to change and revive, we have to be willing to shift the balance from our natural desire for comfort, for what feels familiar and uplifting to us, for our desire to have all the relationships as, as they've been. We have to go away from an emphasis on our own needs being met and our clinging to survival towards God's purpose to revive us. God can open a new source of living water for us and for others to drink through connections, through relationships. But our big question must be now, not are people being satisfied, is everyone happy, but are people's lives being changed? So what is God's next challenge for us that we might give God the glory? It's a refocus on God's purpose and God's ways. Sometimes I think about Moses more like Lord Acton, if you ever remember his famous quote, 19th century politician. He said, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Moses fell into this at that point, but there's hope for him. As Moses nears the end of his life as a leader, he has led well, even in the wilderness. Even though he tries to steal the power and glory for God, showing his own plan, not God's, God knows that it's hard to find balance as a leader, to figure out what's our responsibility, what's God's, what am I supposed to do here? As parents, we often struggle with this. If you're a strong leader, you might struggle with this. I've been told when my mom invited me to pray with her at age four to accept Jesus into my heart, she assured me that you could ask Jesus to do anything. And I popped out with saying, you could even ask Jesus to go to the store for you, but you'd still have to go yourself. And that sort of set the way for my whole lifelong struggle. Which parts do Jesus do and which parts do I do? We all have to sort that out in prayer. So here's Moses, even after years and years and years of inquiring from God what to do, how to meet the people's needs, Moses stumbles here. Here's actually a picture of maybe, this is um, by a, an artist, Swanson, who's actually Scandinavian and Mexican, of what maybe the scene was supposed to look like, everybody happily coming to get water. Probably was what it looked like the first time. I love this image, strong and bold and cheerful. But it's not how it ended up because of Moses. As leaders, we fall into trouble when we fail to discern God's will, when we fall into sin. Even the disciple Peter did so. You know it. He was once called the rock, the founder of the church. But when Jesus told Peter that he would soon die, Peter said, no, never, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Pretty strong words for his right-hand man. All human leaders fail, especially as we struggle with pride. So there's a leadership lesson here of finishing well, especially in our later years, staying close to God 
taking a beat before we react to those around us, especially when it's a question of our plan versus God's, our glory versus God's. Our psalm that we read at the beginning, or actually it wasn't a psalmist from Deuteronomy, shows us that Moses knew God is the only true rock, the only one who deserves our faith and our trust in the glory. So God, Moses does repent and change. That's from Exodus 32, I believe, and again in Deuteronomy. So it's a question for us to ponder. After we stumble, after we sin, how can we grow? We hear this in Moses' call to worship. He has repented. He said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. So there's our hint. Change begins with repentance, giving God the glory. And we can do that too. To close, an author says this story shows us that God cares deeply for each of us and helps us move from places of fear and doubt and sin to praise God, to find new places of trust. God provides for us, God reveals God's self to us, and God asks us to trust even when the good provision doesn't come as quickly or in the form that we like or expected. Today in Pastries with the Pastor, which is a gathering up in the dining room after church, we'll be rehearsing our heritage, telling the story of the church through the years, the high points, the low points, the joys and the pains. We'll have a game show, Friendly Feud, to see who knows what happened in what years. This is why we rehearse stories, to remember how God has acted in the past and God is ready and willing to act today and to act again and again in this place and through each of you into this town. God's provision will come again for us in our church, our journey. For God reminds us again and again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Amen. Amen.